0: I want to say some things before we start about, uh, first of all, I sent out an email about the upcoming F.A.S.T., which is in a couple weeks. Um, who is not on the email list yet and wants to be? Raise your hand. All right, I need to, actually, can someone jot down, keep your hands up. Who wants to get all these email addresses for me by the end of the service, or at the end of the service? Joseph, all right. Give your email address to Joseph, and he will get those uh, to me. Um, and I'll actually go ahead and just send that, out that email again so that we can all have it. This is Joseph. Raise your hand, Joseph. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, so if you want to – we rely that, – that seems to be the, the – it's not necessarily everyone's favorite way to communicate, but it's the way that's kind of most universal. So that's the way that we do all of our primary announcements. Um, so get, if, you, if, you want, if you want the emails, uh, let Joseph know. But uh, so the weekend of December 6th, that's actually starting in the middle of the week, but December 6th, 7th, and 8th, um, we will be doing a, a three-day fast as a church, and that's with all of the other uh, of our sister churches here in town, uh, here in the area. And we have done this every year since as long as I've been around, and many years before that. Uh, i think since the since the beginning of um, what God has been doing with with us as a as a uh, family of churches, um, that fast has been very important to us every year uh, Stephen knows have we been doing it as long as you 've been alive yeah <laughs> so, um, uh, i i 've talked a little bit about this at home group, um, but the first question. That always comes up when, you know, when you're newer to the church, oh, you, you don't eat for three days. And the, the short answer is there's no pressure to fast in any particular way. There are a group of people uh, who will be going without food for three days. Um, but the more important thing is that it's a, it's, a, it's a time to set aside, to take three days to basically shelve everything going on in our lives and say we're going to spend every spare moment, every and we're even going to carve out time, Um, in the day and and push the world back and say we're going to seek God. And when we all do that together and cry out to to hear from Him, to be in His presence, um, He really does move on our hearts and He does uh, make Himself known. Um, We do it for a number of reasons. One, to just sort of in a a, a regular way, come back to confessing to God that we are desperate for His presence. That we don't want to do anything apart from Him. Uh, we don't ever want to get into some sort of routine as a church and then just sort of leave the presence of God behind as we go on and do our little routine and, and work out our strategies and, and execute those. Uh, we always want to bring it back to uh, a place of uh, fellowship with God as, as the primary goal. Uh, we read it this week, and we, we say it all the time. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So we fast to, um, as Andrew Murray says, we fast to let go of the visible so that we can grasp the eternal. We fast to set our minds on things above and, and get, get out of the world that, that pulls at our desires and our attention, tries every which way it can to jar us out of peace with God and fellowship with God. So that's coming up. Um, I would encourage you to talk to your home group leader uh, or to me if you're not quite settled in a home group yet. If you want to know how, how you can fast, if you're not sure how you're going to do it, um, just talk to someone. And it's there's no like pressure or this is not like a uh, uh, a measure of your godliness or something like that. The you know the the amount that you go without food. There's there's none of that. It's a it's a season in which to seek God. Um, so then on the ninth which is in, what, three weeks? Is that in three weeks from today? Two weeks? Three? Okay. We will all be meeting so at the end of the fast, which is awesome. After everyone has kind of broken the fast, that Sunday morning, we're not going to be here. We're going to be out at the JCF building with the whole uh, community of of churches. Um, So that's always a really exciting time, especially at the end of the fast, because, man, everyone's really been seeking God. Everyone is focused, and we get there, and it's like... Everyone's happy that they could eat breakfast that day, and we just, you know, off into the sunset. Um, no, it, it's, it's a really good time. So we're going to meet all together there, and then that night, Sunday evening, we're going to have a Christmas party. This started when we were just one home group, when this church was just one home group. Uh, we started having a Christmas party, and everybody looked forward to it every year, and it became sort of a, a tradition. Everybody started demanding a Christmas party every year, so uh, I'm not a good party planner, so I, I, I gave in to the... I gave in to the demands, and so now it's, a, now it's an annual thing. So we wanted to do it church-wide. There's a lot of new people that have been around, uh, a lot of visitors and people who are coming in uh, to this church. And so I thought it would be good if we all just did it together and um, got to know each other in a, in a less formal setting. Um, so we'll send out an email also once we get all of you on the list, just kind of you, what you can bring to the party. We'll, we do a white elephant gift exchange, which is sort of like the, everybody's favorite part. That's like a $5 limit, and you never know what's going to show up. Uh, it's, it's high drama, high stakes. Uh, <laughs> quite elephant. So that's a lot of fun. We'll be doing that out at the at the Flannery's house, Tony and Robin Flannery's, not, not Ben and Kate, although it's close to where Ben and Kate are staying. Um, we'll get the address out and everything and what you can bring, time and everything like that. So that's some stuff that's coming up. I want to encourage you to, um, even if you're brand new, to consider really... You know, participating in those three days of fasting even if you're um, you know, not quite sure where God wants to have you, what community he wants to give you to, I would encourage you let's fast, that's the best way to figure out where we're supposed to be and where God wants to have us um, so you're welcome to join us in that fast um, even if this isn't really your necessarily your long term church family uh, fast with us and figure it out um, Okay. Any questions about that, or things to add? Anyone that's that's been around for a little while? Anybody want to say anything about the fast? Didn't you meet us during a fast or something? No, it's during a CTS. Yeah. Oh. Okay. To the church. Okay. I feel like there was some. There was one fast where we met somebody, and it was really. I'm getting my stories mixed up. All right. Well, let's go to John 17. As we've been in John 13 through 17, it's just gotten harder and harder to figure out what, what in the world I'm going to share, because if you've been in this portion of Scripture, you understand that this is there's a lot going on here, and this is uh, so rich and deep. John 17 is sort of the the, the climax of all this section. So, um, what I want to do is just kind of read through it, point out a couple things, and um, but I really kind of just want to let it speak for itself. I want to set it up to be able for you to be able to just really hear uh, what Jesus is praying uh, to the Father in this portion of Scripture. You know, John wrote this, he wrote his book, why? So that we would uh, know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in him, we would have life in his name. And John is the only one that records this exchange between uh, the Father and the Son in the hours leading up to the crucifixion. And I would say that this is probably the most uh, intimate portion of Scripture that we have, where we can really see Jesus' relationship with the Father, Jesus the man relating with his heavenly Father, this is the most profound glimpse we get of what that relationship is like. So what's happening here is John records this. First of all, Jesus prays this out loud, and this happens a number of times in the book of John. He's praying this out loud for the purpose of the people around him, right? Uh, There's a couple times in John where it says... I. I'm praying this for the people that are listening. Okay, so that's the same thing that's happening here. He's praying this to the Father. This is what he lives. This is his life, but here he is voicing it so that his closest friends, his disciples, would have that picture of the way that he relates to the Father. And that would be what really just sticks sticks in their mind as he goes to the cross and then when he's raised. These are the very words that the Holy Spirit comes, that Jesus sends the helper to bring into their remembrance. These are the words. Remember what Jesus was praying? Remember how he related to the Father? So this is a glimpse into eternity here. Um, so when Jesus had spoken these words after he's uh, been uh, teaching his, his disciples as little children... And as those whom he's sending into the world, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I'll point out that in verses 1 through 5, Jesus is praying for himself. In 6 through 19, he's praying for the disciples, uh, particularly the 12 that are with him. It's 11 at that point, I guess. And then 20 through the end of the chapter, he's praying for the world. Okay. So he, he pretty clearly shifts. He prays for himself. And what he prays for himself are glorify me. So that I can glorify you. Why? Because this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now it's not know God and Jesus as two separate things. It's that they would know the Father and Son as as one. Right? Because the Jews and his disciples knew the only true God. They knew who that was. Hero Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one, the only true God. And Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So what's he saying? Eternal life is to know the relationship between the Father and the Son. When you know that, when you understand that, you have entered into what it means, what what, what life was always meant to be. Okay? This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence, this is an amazing statement, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And without him, nothing was made which was made. Father, glorify me. Take me back. All through the book of John, he said, I have come from the Father. That's the point of faith. Do you believe that I came from the Father? What does that mean? That I existed before the foundation of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. That's the point of faith. And he says, Father, glorify me in your own presence. I'm coming back to the throne. I'm coming back to your right hand. Coming back to heaven. What was the glory that he had with God before the world existed? What was that? I think that um, one thing would be his his sonship. And, And by extension, God's fatherhood. Let's be father and son again in heaven. We want, we want. I want. To, I want to come back. I've, I've come down. I'm going back up. Okay. It's sonship. It's it's love. This is the glory. Father, glorify me with the glory we we shared. Relationship, it's father and son. We shared absolute love. We shared absolute unity and oneness. And this is the life, this is all the way back in Genesis, as John points us back to Genesis, in the beginning was the word. They said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let's make more the union and the love and the relationship that was there between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit overflowed into more life. That's why eternal life is to know what was always there. When they decided to create the world and mankind, what was there was a desire for the love that exists between Father and Son and Spirit To have more added to it. Father, glorify me. With the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And I'll also say this. Part of that glory, a big part of the glory, includes the cross. Uh, Paul says that he was the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. Part of that glorious life that the Father shared with the Son in the beginning was the idea that should man turn from us, we will become one of them and bring them back to ourselves? That was the kind of agreement and oneness and love that they shared. We love our own. We love those that we created. We are 100% committed to those whom we have created. So much so that, Father, if you tell me to become a man and to lay down my life, and to experience shame and separation from you, I will do it for their sake. Do you want me to do that? That obedience to the Father, that's part of the glory that was there from before the foundation of the world. Right? It wasn't like they created man and got blindsided. <laughs> what? How in the world? We, we didn't plan for this. What are we going to do? Uh, maybe we should go down and die. No. They already knew. Hey, we're creating, a free, we're creating free, free beings. That includes the potential of rebellion. What are we going to do if they rebel? We'll go and die. That's part of the glory. Self-sacrifice. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Name is a big was a big theme in John, that by believing in his name, that by believing we would have life in his name. We talked about uh, several weeks ago how Jesus continually refers to himself as I am or I am he who is or I am this, I am that or just before Abraham was I am. That's the name. The name to a Jew was the unutterable name of God. It was the name that, that, that God gave to Moses when he was sending him to, to deliver the people of Israel out. He said, who am I going to tell him that is sending me? He says, tell him, I am sent you. I am the becoming one. I am he who is. And Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people. The name is not unapproachable. I lived as I am in the world. I manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. I'll point out when Jesus is talking about his disciples, when he's praying for them, he he even goes so far to say, in a couple verses, he says, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for these. Why is that? This is the new Israel. Right? This is God's plan was to partner with a people. To bless a man and his family, Abraham, to make them a blessing to the rest of the world. They liked the blessing part. They didn't do so well at being a blessing to the world. They, they had their moments. But it was all pointing to the day when, Je- when, when Jesus, a descendant of Abraham, a son of Abraham, would come. And in him all the blessings of God would dwell. And through him the whole world would be blessed. What's Jesus doing now? These are the ones through whom you're going to bless the world. There are 12 apostles. There were 12 tribes of Israel. Right? This is not. There are some weird number things in the Bible that are you know, a little sketchy to try and figure out. This isn't one of them. It's very plain. In the book of Revelation, there are 24 elders around the throne. That's the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. Jesus is commissioning his people. He's saying, this isn't... And, and, This isn't pulling his people away out of the world so that they can be their own special little people. This is pulling people out of the world into himself, pouring all of who he is into them so that they can go out into the world and bless it. Unless that happens, they're not going to be able to be a blessing to the world. But he's saying, these are the ones through whom I'm going to bless the world. This has always been the plan. Get a family, get some people bring them close to myself, set them apart as an exclusive thing? No. It's, it's separation so that in them, everybody could come. Right? So this isn't like an exclusive thing that's happening. He's not saying some are, some are saved, some aren't. He's saying, these are the ones you gave me. These are the ones that need to do it. And if they don't do it, no one's going to. So I need to, to invest all of myself in them. I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. In other words, that I am divine. 100%. I'm not just a man. Okay? And there's two two big kinds of heresies in the early church. One is to say that Jesus was not fully God. That he was a great guy. Great teacher. But he wasn't God God. The other is to say that yeah, Jesus was God. Jesus was, was an angelic being. But he, he wasn't fully man. Like he didn't, you know, we're different than Jesus. We have different weaknesses and different... He didn't experience all of those. And John here is correcting both of these. He's fully man and he's fully God. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. He's saying, "I'm about to. I'm, I'm, my time here in the world, in this system, in the created order, is coming to an end. But they're going to stick around. They still have work to do. My work was to reveal to them who I am and to pour out all of who I am into them so that they could remain in the world and be as I am. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them, protect them, guard them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, right? That's that's one of the markers of the glory of God is oneness, unity, even as we are one, that they may be one, even as we are one, that they, like, has always been my purpose Would share the life that I share with you. This is why they were created. We tend to get caught up on all right, mankind has fallen. Now, what's God going to do to get us back? Jesus here is pointing us to not the fall, but to what was before the fall. What was the whole point of creating mankind? We spend a lot of time thinking about how God deals with the fall in our lives. But if you read this, there's not much about that. It has more to do with God's intention before mankind ever fell. And if we know that, we're going to understand salvation a lot better. We're going to understand what we've been restored to. Yeah? This is what Jesus is telling his disciples. You are a part of something that existed before the world ever began. And I have restored you to that. I have brought you into this eternal fellowship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you are going to bring the world into it. I have guarded them. Not one of them has been lost except the Son of Destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. And these these things I speak in the world, right? He's always conscious that I'm saying these things for, so that people around me can hear. These things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the, word ha, the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. This is back to John 3. You have to be born again, born from a different, born from above. When we come into fellowship with God, we are born, and now we come from heaven. We don't come from earth. Our orientation is not as primarily as creatures of the earth. Our orientation is as eternal sons of God. And when you become that, the world hates you. To live as Jesus lived in the world causes the world around you To look down on you. Because what you represent... Is the the judgment that the world is condemned. That the world system, that life turned in on itself. Life turned in on individualism. Life that exists to make me happy. As it says in 1 John, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's the world... If you live in that system and someone comes into the world who's not of the world, who doesn't live according to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, their very presence shines light on what you're doing. And you either love the light and come into it and repent, or you hate the light because it exposes the darkness that you live in. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Right? very clear. I'm not calling these people to myself so that they can be finally free of all of this. That's not what's happening here. I'm bringing them to myself so they would know that they are not of this world, so that they can live in the world, not according to the world, but that so the world could be blessed through them. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Now, sanctify means set apart. Okay, so what Jesus is describing about his disciples is, they're in the world, but there's something about them that the world doesn't penetrate. They, are, they, they live in eternal reality. And so there's, there's a, a um, detachment That they walk around in. A detachment from the world. Sanctify them. And what is that detachment marked by? Truth. And we talked about truth. Uh, Truth is how you actually see reality. You can think that you see, but you're actually blind. And when Jesus comes and heals you, you can actually see life in light of him. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. I think what he's referring to here is he's preparing himself as the sacrifice. The priest would consecrate the animals. And he is the Passover lamb. That's one theme that we haven't touched on in John. But if you go through all of John, you'll see that very clearly... Christ is being presented as the lamb, the Passover lamb. It's one of John's favorite titles for him, the lamb. That that extends on into Revelation. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So what do we have? The life between the Father and the Son. And then the life of the disciples, whom the Son has brought into that life between the Father and the Son. Now we have the life of the world, who through the disciples are being brought into the life of Jesus, who's bringing them into the life of the Father and the Son. You see how this this goes? This just extends on out um, into all the earth. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, all of this is oriented toward the glory of the Father. Jesus' beating heart, although he cared for the needy, although he cared for the weak, his beating heart was to glorify the Father. He did the things he did because they glorified the Father. And that always has to be the motive. He has to make clear that motive. Glorifying the Father. Caring for the needy to glorify yourself is not what Jesus is talking about. Everything Jesus did was glorifying the Father. I want everyone to be saved so that they would know that I came from you. And when they know that I came from you, they're going to know just how glorious you are. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Sonship, oneness, unity, self-sacrifice. The glory that we share, I have given them. Now, here he's talking about all of us. Do you know that you share in the glory that Jesus had with the Father from before the foundation of the world? Do you understand that? When you wake up and you do your devotions, (laughs) you're not just living your best life. You're You're not just living as a blessed person. You are actually participating in the glory that has existed from the, before the beginning of time. We're not just religious people. We're not just Christians because it makes the most sense or, or because it's the nicest or whatever. We're Christians because that's what we we're created to be. That's what we were hardwired and designed to be. That they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me. And he keeps coming back to this. So that the world may know that you sent me, that God became a man, that God left all of his glory, that God used all of his power and all of his authority to empty himself to win his creatures back to himself. How does the world know that? By the way we love each other. How did the disciples know that? By the way the Father and the Son related to each other. Okay, We reflect that relationship by the way that we love each other. And 1 John, which we're going to get into next week, just hammers this home. How can you say you love God, who you haven't seen, if you don't, know, if you don't love your brother who you have seen? We have no right to claim any status before God if we do not know how to love the people that he's placed us with. We are mature in Christ to the extent that we love the people around us. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Now, this isn't just a nice feeling that, Father, I know that you love me. This is that the love that sent me into the world to die Would be in them too. That they would know. First of all. That they'd be able to pray for themselves. And that as they pray for themselves. That their prayer would be glorify me. So that I can glorify you. Do you pray that way? Seems a little weird. When you pray for yourself. If. The life of Jesus is in you. This is what you're praying. Father. Glorify me. Show everyone who you are through my life. A part of that glory meant getting up on a cross. So it's a dangerous prayer. Glorify me. Pour yourself out into my life so that when people look at me, they will see you. That should be your prayer. You shouldn't expect... Anything less than that, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're not just, everybody's human. That's not how Jesus prayed. Well, I'm I'm happy to get out of this human body because then finally I can show people who you are. That's not what he's praying at all. He's saying that, Father, you can move in my life. You can glorify me in such a way that as a man... People will know who you are through my life. Don't ever expect anything less of yourself than that. Now, this isn't some sort of motivational, you can do it, kind of thing. This is, you have to to live according to eternal reality. You were created for glory, to glorify God. That's why he created human beings. To fill the earth with his glory. To reflect who he is. His love. His character. And that is who you are. When you do that, you are at home as a human. Humans are glorious. So you have that relationship with God. If if you are following Jesus, this is... This prayer that he prays should be your prayer. It is your prayer. It's how he prays. It's how he relates to the Father. Do you relate to the Father in this way? Do you pray like this? Glorify me. Do you pray about the people that, are, that you're close with, that he's given you to? Do you pray like this? Oh, I have... I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me. I've lived my life in, in total uh, pointing to you at every, at every turn. I, I have laid down my life so they would, they would know. I've, I've been patient with them. I've worked with them. I've, I've shared the word with them. also so that they could know the kind of relationship that I have with you. If Jesus is in you, that that is the prayer that you will pray. So He says, "These things, um, these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves." Jesus said, "I have given them a glimpse." In this prayer. (laughs) In my words to you, Father. I'm giving them a glimpse of heaven. Of what they were created for. And when they... When it makes sense. When they they understand. Once I've been crucified, resurrected, and I send to the Father, and I send the Holy Spirit. Once they understand. They're going to be full of joy. They're going to realize what they were created to be So this is this is big stuff. I mean, this is this is hard to wrap your mind around. And it sounds great and it's really deep and profound, but the rest of your life God will be bringing you back to this place that you were created to live for his glory. That you were created to walk with him in relationship. That he's not. We just have a messed up view of God. We think things about God that just aren't true. We try and relate to him in a way that he just isn't that way. He is a father who wants to walk with sons, sons and daughters. That's it, that's the, that's the ultimate expression. Of who he is. He is a father. Who has a son that he loves. He is a son. That is absolutely obedient to the father. And they have this relationship. By the Holy Spirit. And they love each other. And they know each other. And they are in total agreement with each other. And they exist. In perfect unity. And that's a glorious thing. And because they love what they have so much, they want to bring more people into it. That's it. That's who God is. And that's why it's so tragic that when, when Satan deceived Eve, he said, eh, yeah, God, God knows that if you, if you eat that tree, you're going to become like him. He doesn't want you to become like him. Couldn't be farther from the truth. God created us to be like him. Part of who he is, is obedient and trusting. And so turning our back on obedience and trust is turning our back on being like God. Right? So this this stuff, this is like at the very, very root of everything the Bible points to, of everything the gospel points to. It's not like God made a mistake in creating human beings because they got so far off and... Now he has to kind of like go clean up their mess. He does. But he created human beings because he desired and longed for people to come into the relationship that he shared in himself. Okay? And so the point of belief that John is pointing us to is, do you believe that God isn't just God up there, but that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Do you believe that that's how he is? He's not one. He is three in one. Do you believe that that's how he is? Do you believe that Jesus is fully God? Do you believe that their relationship is what you were created for? That that seeing them relate, you see a picture of who you were created to be. When you look on Jesus, do you see it should unlock in you eternity? There's Jesus. He's relating with God in this way. That's what, that's what I'm for. <laughs> and that's what he enables us to be by the Holy Spirit. Um, all right. So, I want to do communion at, communion at the end because so much in here is symbolized up here. right? I in you. Right? This symbolizes the fact that, that Jesus, literally, his life becomes, we, we, we are in him and he is in us. But it also symbolizes the glory that he shared with the Father. That he would come and on the night in which he was betrayed, that he would say, yes, this is why I've come. I've come to give you my life. This is the glory that I shared before the foundation of the world. We knew that this would happen. We knew that when, when, when our family turned on us, that we would need to come and surrender our life so that they could really know that what they're turning on is not a God who's withholding things from them. What they're turning on is perfect love and joy and unity. They're not going to know it unless they see the body and the blood of God himself. And uh, so, as we come, I want to pray that that the Holy Spirit would minister these words to us. You know, it, it, it is very hard to like think about words that you can say that will make this make sense. I don't even think Jesus himself really thought that that was possible. That's why he said, I need to go away and I've got to send the helper. Because <laughs> really, the Holy Spirit's the only one that can really show you any of this stuff and drive it home for you. Um, so I can do the best I can to try and say, look at this, isn't this great? This is awesome. But that's absolutely weak and frail compared to what the Holy Spirit comes and does in our hearts. And those of you who have... There, there are lots of people in this room who really have. This has, this has really been unlocked in your heart. You walk with the Father in this way. That it's not a, it's not a legalistic or something to be done for... for a happier life. It's you've seen what you were created for, and you live with the Father in this way. Um, so I want to pray that as we come and as we as we meditate on the life of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would take us deeper into this this time before the foundation of the world, and that we would we would see ourselves in light of what God's purpose has always been, um, and that we would understand that. There is a profound calling on your life, your life in the world, that you would walk with the Father in a way that causes others to know who he is. And a big part of that, the biggest part of that, is by loving the people that he has given you to. Um, We are to become for each other this broken body and poured out blood. Um, So let's pray, and then we can uh, spend some time... Praying to ourselves, praying praying, um, in preparation. And then let's come up to the table and, and let's come with joy. You know, this is, this is a joyful thing that God has done for us. And we remember him and we, we, we sorrow for the fact that our sins are what caused him to, to need to do this. But we also remember that um, he did this so that, so that our, we would have life and that his joy would be in us. Let's pray. Father, thank you um, for sending your son. Father, thank you for uh, being patient with all of the generations of of people that, that did not get you, that did not understand who you were. Jesus, thank you for your obedience to the Father. Thank you that you did lay aside all of your glory and you became a man so that we could know how to walk with the Father. And I pray um, for this bread and the cup, Lord, that that it would um, minister grace to us, that it would allow us to, uh, in some way, Lord, understand these things that we've been talking about, these things that that your son was praying to you on the night uh, that he was to be delivered into the hands of sinful men, that we would understand his heart, that the words that he spoke to you would, would be the words that we speak to you in our time on earth, God. Glorify us, Father. Glorify this church so that we could glorify you, so that the world would know that we have come from you. Thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.